This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. How many would like to learn how to live a whole new way? Right? That's what we're going to try to pursue today. We start a brand new series today, studying the book of James. I love the book of James. Uh, for those of you that are new or guests here, we typically study in series here at the church, and often we'll take a book of the Bible And we're just going to go verse, literally verse by verse, line by line, and go through this five-chapter book uh, of James. Uh, So instead of finding Scripture to support a point, uh, the Scripture actually is the point. And instead of having to seek out Scripture to enhance what I would like to say, the Bible itself becomes the point, which is challenging at times because it is what it is. It says what it's going to say. And uh, we can just look at this practically for ourselves and the application of what Scripture looks like in our life. Uh, there has to be a takeaway. I understand that. So we'll add some, some verses to that, that that reiterate what James is trying to communicate. Uh, beyond that, I really do believe that this is one of the best ways, if not the best way, to learn Scripture. Just going line by line, verse by verse. And the book of James is a wonderful one to do that. It's known as the Proverbs as of the New Testament. So practical. Um, And it's probably best understood through the analogy of motion. Um, Where there is new life, there is activity. There is motion in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. So a person becomes a Christian, new life begins. Inevitably, that life must express itself through spiritual motion, work. In James' words, later on in chapter 2, he says this, What good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, no work? So... Movement is a sure sign that life is present. So the question is, is there movement in your life? Similarly, Christians' genuine faith in their lives should result in actions that demonstrate faith. James doesn't necessarily write how to become a Christian, but rather how to act like a Christian. Um, Real life-giving faith should produce motion. And James minces no words in describing the specific actions expected of of Christians. Uh, Just a couple things to note about James, just to give you some context. This is not the disciple James that's writing this. You know, you think of Peter, James, and John. No, this is not that guy. That's not, it's not one half of the sons of thunder, the brother of John. This is actually the half-brother of Jesus, okay? Same mother, different father, okay? You guys will get that. Jesus came from a blended family. You didn't know that, did you? Yeah, Jesus came, blended family, can you, ima- listen, can you imagine how hard it would be to convince one of your siblings that you are God? Think about that. In fact, if there's anything that proves the divinity of Jesus, it might be the fact that James, his brother, says, this is God. Uh, I mean, James has spent his life growing up with him. I don't know what I would have to do for my sisters. I have two sisters. I don't know what I would have to do to convince them that I was the Almighty God. That's probably not going to happen, so... Interestingly enough, James uh, did not start serving God until later in life. He actually committed his life to the Lord after the resurrection of Christ. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, Jesus actually visits his brother James. It's noted there. And that's when he commits his life to God and eventually becomes the pastor of the main church there in Jerusalem. And as we read this book, the pastor's heart in him comes through loud and clear um, It comes through with love and with sympathy and, yes, with just brutal honesty. 
Um, I love the fact that James doesn't pull any punches. He just lays it out there. You're not looking for like hidden meanings and trying to read. You know, he speaks with authority. He tells you how you should act. 60 commands in the five chapters we're going to look at. And he models this leadership that errs on the side of pragmatism. Uh, because he doesn't want anyone to miss that idea of practicing what you preach. He ultimately understood that integrity only exists when our words and our actions align. So, if you were, if you were working for James, if he was your boss, you might hear things like this. Don't tell me about your accomplishments. Show me. Or he might say this. The more you walk the walk, the less you have to talk. James could care less about the core values that you wrote down on a sheet of paper last year if they didn't result in change in your life. I I love the book of James. Practical, daily Christian living. Deals with all kinds, trusting God, discipline in our lives, controlling the tongue, prioritizing faith. It's fantastic. How how many would say this morning, you, you would desire to be not only a hearer of God's word, but a doer of God's word. How many would say, I would like to start to implement some things. Okay. Because James is going to challenge you on that desire. Uh, It's a book. You can read through the book of James in about 12 minutes. It's 108 verses. Think about that. It's five chapters. And there is so much wisdom for us to learn. So we're jumping right in. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ... To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, he says, greetings. And that is the end of James's greeting. He, you know, you read some of Paul's letter and it's like, I've been thinking about you and praying for you. I'm thanking God for you. I'm remembering. No, no, no. James is like, I'm a servant. First of all, the fact that he references himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus. This is his brother. It speaks already to the humility that's in his life. He references himself as a servant and he calls his brother Lord. Amazing. But his greeting is basically, how you doing? And then he just rears back and hits you right in the mouth. I mean, there's like no couth, nothing. He doesn't beat around the bush. He gets right to it. Now, he's going to talk about two things in chapter one, trials and temptation. And we're going to deal with the trials part of that today. How many know when you're going through a test, you just cut to the chase? You do not have time for flowery words. You just need some help. And James says, Hey guys, how you doing? Now, consider it pure joy, verse 2, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How's that working for you? Yeah. When you face trials, when you're getting tested, consider that joy. Doesn't, James, he needs to study church more. Doesn't he supposed to start out with like a funny story and something like whimsical and engage? No, no, no. Hey, how you doing? Here it comes. He just... Jumps right in. I love that. Maybe we could look at trials a little differently. Um, So often we think of trials as a thorn, uh, a challenge, something we have an angst towards. Maybe we could just try to reframe a little bit this morning what we consider a trial to be, and that is this. An external occurrence in our lives that has the potential to teach us something. So quit quit being so mad about the truth. Maybe it could be an occurrence in your life that you could potentially learn something from. It has the potential to grow you up. You ready for this? God will actually allow a trial to come into your life, a testing of your faith, because he sees and knows the value in it. Now, before you think badly about God, 
you and I are the same way. Uh, for those of you that have children, you know, uh, Sadler, we have, we have one of our... Does anybody have a child that just literally despises school? I mean, just like, I could never go back and be happy. We have one of those. And uh, every, every morning, every, every morning, every morning, Dad, can I skip school? No, you can't skip school. I tell you what you can do. You can get up out of bed. You can make your bed. You can put some clothes on. You can have some breakfast. And you can go to school. Because we inflict pain and misery upon our kids. Because I have the hope one day that they will graduate and pay their own bills. You're going to say amen to that. Pay your own bills. Yes. So we allow them to be tested. Because tests reveal something. By the way, you can't get through school. Ask, ask these graduates. You can't get through school without passing the test. You can't graduate. Because tests reveal whether you need to redo the material or if you can graduate to the next level. Likewise, God is interested in growing you up, maturing you, so much so that he's more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. He's more interested in your holiness than your happiness. He wants you to grow. Now, I just, I prepared myself at the beginning of this two weeks ago when I realized we were going to be doing James. James is not going to be one of these series where you guys shout me down. I just promise you, you're going to go, I don't really like this guy anymore. Uh, I prepared myself for that. It's going to be quiet for the next, however long we're studying, James. Look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 17. It reiterates this idea of testing. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord tests the heart. So the idea there is that you heat these elements up. The impurities, they rise to the top and you skim the impurities off of the top so that it can be pure, refined gold and silver. Likewise, the Lord tests your heart. And he heats it up and the impurities rise to the top. Now here's where you come in. You have the choice on whether or not you're going to allow him to skim away the impurities. Or if you just allow them to stay there. Verse 2, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, when you face trial, you're going to face them, consider it joy. One of the things that causes us difficulty with this is because we mistake joy for happiness. And let me just say, happiness is a universal way from joy. Uh, In fact, I should just say at the outset of this series, of this message, that Ashley and I have had our share of tests. For those of you that are guests today, uh, we haven't had much time to spend together. You're sitting here thinking, well, sure, easy for you to talk about. Your life is rocking along. and God has been gracious to us, yes, but we have faced some trials, some testing. And I, I don't know about you, I don't want some Joe up here telling me about testings when he's never been tested. Um, but when you've been through some real testing you begin to realize that there's something much deeper, there's something better, there's something more, because there's a world of difference between joy and happiness. Maybe we can just think of joy in this way. Joy is a supernatural delight. I'm not going to go down to my basement and get some joy. You're going to be down there a while. No. (laughs) Let me go even further. Joy is a supernatural delight that is found in the person of God, the purpose of God, and the people of God. Joy is found in those places. So it's found through God, 
Then it's found through his purposes, what he's trying to accomplish, even when I don't understand it, even when I can't explain it. And it's also found through the people of God. It's one of the reasons we gather together. We gather here together on Sunday for church. We gather small groups during the week. Why? Because, sure, the worship and the coffee is great, but I want to be around the people of God. I um, have had the opportunity to travel a lot. I've sat in lots of airports and on lots of planes. And um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience when you're traveling. I like to actually engage people in conversation. My wife doesn't really like that about uh, me when we're traveling. I, I'm t- I'm in an elevator for one floor. I go, hey, how you doing? You know, I just talk, start talking to people. She doesn't really like that. But So when I'm by myself, I take real advantage of it. And so I, I'll be traveling, and I'll start talking to someone. I don't know if you've ever had this happen or not. And they, out of nowhere, they'll look at you, and they'll go, you're one of those Christians, aren't you? And I'll go, yeah, I am. And they'll go, I am too. And now we have this thing going. We've got a, we've got a this thing, this connection. And that's joy. That's joy. You find the people of God being around. It's in the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. So when James says, count it all joy, it's something way bigger than happiness. Consider it. It's interesting, isn't it? That, that verbiage there. Consider it pure joy which means to really weigh it out. Think it through. Press your mind down upon it. Listen, you can't come to the joyful conclusion about trials without considering it, counting the cost. Press your mind down upon it, which is why four things you need to do when you face a trial. The first one is this. As you're considering, recognize what's going on. What what is really going on here? One of the tragedies of a test or a trial is that sometimes we allow the problem itself to hijack the learning experience that we could be having. You never fully see or embrace what could be happening because you're so distracted by the problem itself. Here's here's what I do know. Tucked away in that test, the financial struggle, that mean neighbor, the prodigal child, the unrealistic spouse, whatever your trial is, Right now, there is something to be learned in it. There's a lesson to be learned in it. How many would say, you're just going to be honest this morning, and you'll be honest enough to say, right now, I am facing a test, a trial. I'm facing a trial. Yeah. How many are sitting next to their trial? No, don't raise your hand on that. Don't raise your your hand on that. That will make your trial worse. I promise you that. Mm -hmm. Consider it. Consider it. Yeah. Someone, someone was brave enough to do it. You've got to consider it. While you're considering it, when you're kind of recognizing what's really happening, just a few simple questions to ask yourself. First one is this. What's happening to me? What's happening? I've lost my job. My son is rebelling. We're facing bankruptcy. My spouse has left. What, what is the external occurrence that's happened to your life? And, and, and write it down. Be specific. Write it down. Okay? And then follow that question up with, why am I here on earth? This is an important question. Why are you taking breath? What, what is the purpose of your life? I mean, I, I love God and I'm going to heaven, but why am I still here? That's a good question. Okay, when you ask those two, then, then ask this question. How can what is happening to me advance the purpose for why I'm here? Think about that. How? How is this going to advance what God wants to refine in me and move forward the purpose that he has 
for my life. And I would suggest that the reason you're here is to display the superiority of a life lived in God. Your life becomes a display of God's superiority in your life. You have a resource in his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit and his word. And through the fellowship of people, you have a resource that other people don't have. Whatever it is you're facing today, consider it joy. Some uh, translations say, uh, consider it pure joy when you fall into a trial. How many know that's what it's like sometimes, isn't it? It comes, you don't see it coming out of nowhere, bam. Uh, I think a lot of times it's the mercy of God that we don't always see it coming. Imagine, imagine the worry and anxiety in your life if you knew it was coming. God is so merciful that he doesn't allow you to see it and now it's in your life. Verse 2 and 3 now. We've only made it two verses. That's why James is amazing. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because there's a purpose to it. You know... By the way, you know, deep in your heart, you know there's a purpose to it. You know that the testing of your faith does what? It develops perseverance. That that test is developing you. It's shaping you. It's producing something in you. What's it producing? Look at what it says. And let me just say this. All tests and trials are trying to develop this virtue in you. Every test, every trial you face is trying to develop this virtue in you. Perseverance. Some translations say steadfastness, others say patience, others say endurance. We just, uh, we don't do this often here, but let me just do a quick word study with you on that word. Perseverance, steadfastness, whatever your translation says. In English, it would pre- uh, be pronounced hupomene. Okay, that's, that's the word. And what that means is to remain under. To remain under. So let's go back and read it. What's this mean now? Consider pure joy whenever you face trials because you know that the testing of your faith develops. It produces the ability to remain under. The testing of your faith. For those of you that have been crying, why why God? God's trying to produce in you the ability to remain. In fact, we surveyed 100 people. The top three answers are on the board. Here's the question. (laughs) Name something that Christians do when they face a trial. Number one answer, we bail. Number one answer, we bail. We bail. What is the first thing we we do when we typically get under a trial? We are looking for a way out. I don't want this test. I got to get out of here. This is not what I signed up for. I didn't know marriage was going to be this hard. I didn't know parenting was going to be this difficult. I don't like this job. I don't like my boss. I'm called to a different church. We bail. Why why is this happening? It's a test. To produce the ability to remain under. God is trying to teach us the ability to remain under. Now, when we bail, what happens? New marriage. New church. Different family. Different job. Different city. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I don't want this. I deserve better. I'm not taking this. I didn't sign up for this. We bail. And we miss what God is trying to teach us. The second thing we do, number two answer, is this. We lash out. We lash out. Oh, yeah, I'll stay here, but all y'all are going to know about it. Y'all are going to know how I feel about what's going down here. I'm not happy here. You're not going to be happy here because I'm not happy. If I'm suffering, you're suffering too. 
Anyone ever done that? No, no, no. Turn to your neighbor and say, you do that. You do that. You do that. You do that. And then finally, finally, we bail, we lash out. We just fold. We just give up. Sometimes we even make it like a spiritual thing, like, oh, God, just crush me. Just back the truck up over me, Lord. I'm just a, oh, just kill me, God. Give me what I deserve. I, I, can, um, <laughs> I can tell, I've been in ministry long enough. I can tell when I'm speaking and people are like laughing. They're like, <laughs> that's me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me just say, None of those things are going to produce the character that God wants to develop in you. That's not remaining under. Listen, God is doing an awesome thing in you. He's trying to build the capacity in you to remain under whatever he allows. It's a test. Listen, some of us are actually trying to run from the very school of character that God gave you as a gift. And there's character to be learned right in the middle. You're asking God to get you out of it. And God's saying, man, I'm trying to help you. Which is why the second thing you need to do, after you recognize what's really happening, you need to cooperate with God's growth process. Cooperate. You ever tell your kid, would you just cooperate with me? You might as well cooperate because trials are coming. God's going to allow some things into your life, whether you like, he's a good father. He's going to get you out of bed. He's going to make you put some clothes on and make your bed. And he's going to make you. He's not like this spiritual Santa Claus that just gives you whatever you want. That's not how it works. He wants to develop the best in you. Verse 4. So let perseverance. There's that word again. The ability to remain under. Let that finish its work. So that three things happen in your life. Maturity. Completion. And lacking nothing. How how many would like those three things in your life? Well then, remain under. It's trying to finish its work in you. Some of you have actually prayed, God, I want everything you have for me. And he goes, really? And you go, yeah. And he goes, okay, get ready. It's coming. And honestly, some of the trials that you're facing are answers to prayers that you've prayed. You have a role in this. Your prayers, they lead to the test that you... How many have ever done this? How many have said, Lord, make me more patient? Oh, God, help me to love people more. Help me to be more compassionate. Now, how many have ever noticed that after you pray those types of... What happens not too long after that? Oh, God, make me more loving. And he comes and he brings the most unlovable person and he sits them right next to you. And your very trial is an answer to a prayer that you prayed. He's trying to help you. Perseverance, endurance, patience, hupomene, steadfastness. It is the funnel through which Christian virtue flows into your life. Remaining under. If God can get that characteristic into you, he can get everything else to you. Completion, maturity, not lacking anything. And that's the reason you count it all joy. Because now you understand, when a trial comes, it's not just this random thing that's happening. No, this is God moving towards you, trying to create endurance in you, patience in you, hupomene. And if God can get that to you, he can get everything else to you. There's a lot of 
verses in the Bible about suffering. I know this is not the, you know, the most positive thought, but it's, it's in there a lot, guys. And James as a pastor, you know. I think if, if you were to spend time with James, you would smell sheep. Because shepherds smell like sheep. And when you spend time with sheep, you understand that with those sheep come some things. In fact, when I get a phone call during the week, my first thought is not, oh, this is going to be a praise report and someone's telling me how great their life is. (laughs) Nope, that's not what I think. I think, here comes a trial. Here it comes. Why? Because shepherds, they smell like sheep. Look what what Romans says, chapter 5, on this idea of suffering. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only in that do we boast, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces, there's that word again, perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, I'm surprised I didn't get a lot of amens on that. No one shot me down on that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, why? So that your faith, it's a testing of greater worth than gold. There's that idea again, the impurities rising to the top. Let it be skimmed off the top, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So the purpose of the trial is to prove the genuineness, the authenticity of your faith. Because God is trying to develop something in you. Listen, some of the best things in your life will come from the darkest places. I promise you. Uh, There are moments in your life when you experience such discomfort that it literally forces you into a place of seeking God and moving you to a place that otherwise you would have never gone to. You You ready for this? This church came out of a very dark place. Probably one of the most difficult years of my ministry life was the year leading up to the launching of this church. But Ashley and I had to choose. There were days we had to choose. We're not going to bail. We're not going to lash out. We're not going to tell everyone what we think. We're going to remain. We're not going to just roll over and die. No, we're going to remain. And we're going to let you teach us something through this process, God. Now, we get to see just a glimmer, a glimpse of what God wants to really do. That's why, that's why you consider it a joy. Because now when a test comes, you can be like, woohoo! God's going to bring something to my life. He's going to teach me something. I can remain under. I can get everything he has because I'm learning how to remain under. Here's what I know. When I have made the choice to remain under, to not run, I've come out on the other side better. I've come out a better husband a better father, a better leader, a better, a better Christian. I'm a better person. Sometimes, sometimes this prayer is one of the most powerful prayers that you can pray, and it's this. God, I'm not going to quit. 
I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit doing what you called me to do. Because I know that you're bringing something incredible into my life. It's frustrating when we don't always know what God's trying to accomplish. Which is why, third thing you need to do, recognize what's going on, right? Third thing you're going to do now. You're going to ask for God's help. Recognize. Then you're going to cooperate with the process. And now you're going to, now I'm sorry if I've just, you know, insulted your intelligence, your walk with the Lord. But it still boggles my mind how people wait to resort to God after they've tried everything else on the planet. James, verse 5 here. He's got a little tip for you. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Um, I don't know if you're like me at all. When I was in school, I I liked this verse for when I hadn't studied. And I would... uh, Walk in and say, Lord, here I am. Just be really sweet. If you could drop some wisdom on me right now, I'd be good, God. Um, By the way, that never works. Uh, I I have found God to be non-responsive to ultimatums. I don't know why. He just hasn't responded to my ultimatums. That's not what this verse is about. That's not the context, of course. Learning to remain under. If any of you lacks wisdom about what? About remaining under. If you lack wisdom about that, let me just say this. There is a vast difference between wisdom and knowledge. Uh, We have more knowledge in our world today than we know what to do with. Uh, But with all of the accumulation of knowledge that we have in our world today, there is a vast shortage of wisdom. I have lots of extremely educated people in my life. Lots of things hanging on their wall. And they face situations... And they can't think themselves out of it. Why? Because there's a difference between knowledge. Knowledge is data, information, simply knowing what it says. Wisdom is how we put that data, information, and knowledge to work. Putting it to practice. Often, wisdom is the ability to apply what you really already know. You say, well, well, how do I get it? You ask. You ask. God promises to help to turn your knowledge into wisdom. God God will answer that prayer. Not this prayer. Why is this happening to me, God? Not that prayer. Or some big universal existential prayer. No, I'm not talking about that. But if you sincerely pray, God, what are you trying to teach me? How, How do you want to make me better through this? What should I be learning right now? How can I be applying my knowledge? And then when you pray that prayer... Listen. We have people, Ashley and I have people all the time that we spend time with counseling and marriage couples and all the whole thing. It's crazy to me. They come in, they, we need some counsel. And then they come in and by God's grace, we try to give them some wisdom. And then they walk out the door and they don't know anything we told them to do. And then two weeks later, they're back. There is something to be said about listening and then doing what wisdom and counsel has told you to do. Part of acquiring wisdom means being willing to listen to wisdom. God doesn't answer, listen, if you will ask in sincerity, he does not answer that prayer in anger. What do you want to know that for? No, that's that's not how he responds. He doesn't take away our dignity or scorn us or put us down. How many of you have ever 
needed uh, to ask for help, but you knew that the person you needed to ask would put you down and make you feel stupid if you asked. Ever experienced that? So you, you don't ask, right? That's not how God is. God's not like that. Your heavenly Father wants you to ask, and here's what's waiting for you. At the end of that sincere prayer, here's what's waiting for you. I've been waiting for you to ask for that. And he will give to you, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, he'll give to you generously. Generous insight into what he's trying to form and refine in you. You won't be disappointed. What should I be learning? And develop that in me. That becomes your prayer. God, when that thing happens today, help me not to respond. Help my my emotions not to be in control. Help me not to react. And even though I don't understand all that's going on, I I want you to teach me. I I want to trust you. Some of us, some of us just simply need to start praying different prayers. Start asking God, what are you trying to teach me? And you'll, listen, you will emerge out of that type of prayer time with a different perspective on life. Right? So you recognize what's going on. You cooperate with the process. You ask for wisdom and then keep a good attitude. Keep a good attitude. Attitude. Those of you that have kids, you can see attitude coming, can't you? Oh, here, great, here it comes. I see it. I see it all over your face. I just want attitude. Impress me. You know, I just want to sit up, right? Dear Lord, I'm too cool. You're not too cool. Sit up, listen. Attitude. It's interesting where James goes next, James chapter 1. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. James doesn't pull any punches. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. (laughs) Faith and attitude go hand in hand. Our attitude determines the kind of people we are and the behavior that we adopt. Let me also say, our attitudes also determine whether or not people want to be around us. I'm telling you, your attitude, your attitude's important. The attitude that you have towards life will directly influence your personality and the experience that you have in life. When our attitudes are right, then our beliefs and our actions will follow suit. I promise you. Attitude. Faith, let's think of it this way. Faith is the can-do attitude. Faith. It doesn't look possible, but I'm going to trust you. You have to believe and not doubt. Otherwise, you'll be tossed about, up and down. How many, how many know someone or you have someone in your life and you just don't know from day to day what you're going to get? Up and down, you're going, I don't know what's showing up today. Who maybe? Who knows? Just depends on the day. Attitude greatly influences that, their ability to live a life. What's he say? Stable. They're unstable. Your attitude is also key to whether or not your prayers are heard. The day, the, day, the day that I simply had to believe that God wanted to do something in me before he could do something through me. I, I talk about that year leading up to this. There were some 
great trials in that year. And I look back on that year and I just think, God, you were trying to teach me so much and I was being, there were times when I was being resistant to that. Watch what happens next. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres, who has the ability to remain under because having stood the test, that person, which person? The person that realizes they need to remain under and stand the test, that person receives the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's a testing, isn't it? Let me just say, I I want you to pass the test. What's happening to me? What's going on? This will help you. You're being tested. Why are you doing this? I want to help you out. It's a test. It's right there. Your faith is being tested. How much will you trust God for? How long will you trust God? How sure are you of his promises? You're being tested. I used to uh, love it in school when uh, the teacher would get up and say, tomorrow we have a test, and I would like to give you all the questions that are going to be on the test tomorrow. Oh, I used to love that. That's awesome. Okay, great. I'm going to take some notes now. Right? I just go home and I study the test. Right? I study the questions that are on the test. Here's what I want to do for you. We'll just wait. That's a test. I promise you that's a test. Yeah. I want to give you the questions that are on the test. I want to make it easy for you. I want to give you the questions that are on the test. The easiest one's always first. Here's the first one. Do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's in control? Do you believe that nothing happens in the life of one of his children that he hasn't allowed? Beyond that, do you believe that God is overwhelmed trying to keep it under control? Are you kidding? I like to say it this way. God rules the universe with his feet up. I mean, we have this perspective of God that he's like pacing and wringing his hands and angels are dabbing sweat off of his brow. You think think he's overwhelmed? Second question. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God's in control? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that all of God's actions towards you are to bless you and to bring goodness into your life? Even if, even if it doesn't look like it from your perspective, let me just say, he's not done yet. He's not done yet. You might have to, here's a fun word, wait. We like that word. You need to get a little further on down the road. Stop pulling it up before the roots have even had a chance to take a hold. Trust. Can you pass the test? Listen, I want you to pass the test. And then finally, this question that's on the test is this. Are you willing to wait by faith, until you see it. Are you willing to wait? Some of you are like, I believe God's in control. I believe he's good, but I'm just not seeing it, Devin. I've got to tell you, there's nothing to point to in my life that says those things are true. So this question becomes critical in your life. Are you willing to wait by faith? And a lot of us, me included, a lot of us just sometimes, we're not willing to wait. No, I'm going to take control of this thing. I'm going to go down there and tell her what I think. I'm going to get this thing on a schedule. We need a plan here. We've got to get this thing on a program. James, later on in this chapter, we'll look at it next week, says this, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And when you take a hold of it yourself, I'm going to fix this. I've got to get this thing on. Now you're getting in the middle, in between the potter and the clay, and that's not a good place to be. 
That's the question, you know, that we're all asking. What is going on behind the scenes? Maybe, here you go. For those of you that didn't raise your hands, my life is awesome. I haven't faced a trial in 10 years. That is not good news for you. That's not good news for you. Uh-huh. The Bible, uh, Bible says in Hebrews that the Lord chastens those whom he, whom he loves. He disciplines his sons and his daughters. Here's, here's what I know. If we will allow it, God will take it and he will use it for a greater purpose. He will. And that's what he wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to do. Recognize, recognize what you really Consider it. Think it through. Cooperate. Submit. Surrender to the process. And when you do that, you ask him for wisdom. Ask him for wisdom. Okay? Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 10.30 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.